Um, so we're in the middle of a series where for 10 weeks of summer, so summertime, as you know, is people come and go, and they're on vacation, and they're in and they're out, and um, grandkids are in town, and then grandkids are out of town. So I thought for the summer, let's do a little 10-week series, do something a little bit different. And some of you maybe haven't been here. This is, this, this is week three of that series. But it's a 10-week series in which we want to build a biblical world view. A way of seeing life and all the pieces and parts of life through a biblical lens, a biblical Christian perspective of life. And the hope would be that we might have a robust view of redemption. A robust view of God's promise to be at work. That He is doing something and that He's calling His church, He's calling Christians to live not with apathy in this life, but robustly with purpose and intentionality to see all the broken things redeemed as they can and should be by His Word and by His Spirit. We've called the, I playfully called this um, fixing broken things, uh, making things better. And someone asked me this week, hey, what actually is the title of the series that you're doing? And here's one that I haven't used, and I think I like this the best. Repairing the ruins. That's the biblical worldview that we're to have. Repairing the ruins that are all around us and that are in us. Not by our own power, not by our own might, but God Himself, by His Word and Spirit, restoring, renewing, reordering, repairing the ruins. John Milton said in the 1600s in his little essay on education, he said, the end then of learning is to repair the ruins of our first parents by regaining what it means to know God aright. And out of that knowledge of Him, to love Him, to imitate Him, to be like Him. So that's what we're doing. We're talking about God at work repairing the ruins. God is doing something in His church and through His church. And so in week one, we talked about the truth that everything around us is broken. We live in a broken world, and we are broken people in this world. Everything is broken. But God and His gospel has come to do something about that brokenness. And then last week, in week two, we looked to the Scriptures and to Genesis for what it says about humanity, and that we are primarily worshiping creatures. But our worship is broken, and we worship all the wrong things. Instead of worshiping God as we should, the one true holy God, we will worship idols. We will make idols of anything. And so our worship is to be redeemed. We're to be reordered, restructured, repurposed as God's people to rightly worship the one true God. Now this morning, we move on to something else that needs to be redeemed. And that is our work. And the Scriptures are clear about the importance of work. And we'll once again look to Genesis, the book of beginnings, that tells us what it is to be created by God and who He is and who we are. We'll look to Genesis to define 
the category of work and to help us see how it's gone so wrong. So selections from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. Give your attention to God's Word. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then skipping to Genesis 3, 17-19. After the fall into sin, to Adam the Lord said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Let's pray that the Lord would help us rightly understand and apply His Word. Lord, we humbly ask this morning that You would be our teacher. And Lord, I pray that You would equip us with a right understanding of Your world and our work in it. Do this, Lord, that we might live as the people of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is important, it is critically important, if you're a Christian believing person, that you have a sound, biblical, world and life view. Your understanding of who you are, your understanding of this world and everything in it. Nancy Piercy says this, Having a Christian worldview means being utterly convinced that biblical principles are not only true, but also work better in the grit and grime of the real world. And I think she's precisely right. A biblical perception of ourselves in the world helps us to see how things truly are. And it gives us hope in the midst of living through the miseries of this life that God is at work that He is doing something, that He will accomplish His purposes. So having a lens, a biblical lens through which we see ourselves, we see one another, we see our work, it helps us through the grit and the grime of everyday life. A biblical worldview, a Christian way of thinking, particularly as it relates to the subject of work. That, right there, was a major contribution of the Protestant Reformation. 
of seeing that work existed for the glory of God. And we, being a Protestant and Reformed congregation, we appreciate that work and what we've inherited. That we see that it's not that some jobs are important, that some jobs, some work is spiritual. All work is spiritual. All work is worship of God when done for His glory. And so the Protestant Reformation helped us see that not only were clergy or doctors serving the Lord, but the garbage man did his work for the glory of God. The street sweepers, the gutter, cleaper, gutter cleaners do their work for the glory of God. And all this comes to us from a right understanding of Genesis. Three simple points this morning, and the first is this. We, human beings, were created to work. We were created to work. Genesis 1, 26-28, the Lord put the man in the garden and told him to guard it, to keep it, to work it. And prior to the fall, well, it would have been nice to see what it was like to tend to the garden of perfection, where every lawnmower always started and every chainsaw could always start and you never ran out of gas and things didn't break down. That was the original context of work, and we were created to work in it. In God's likeness, in His image, we were to subdue the earth, to rule over creation as a representative of God. But all of it was for the glory of God. That was the context of working in the garden. And then we know that the Lord in His kindness and His mercy, He created a helper for that man. He fashioned a woman who was to complement him. She was the opposite of him, and together they were to co-labor. But then that event in Genesis chapter 3 that changed everything, the fall into sin, the ruin of creation, the tragic ruin of creation. So in creation, everything was orderly. It was all as it should be. But then in Genesis chapter 3 comes disorder. Chaos, unraveling the disintegration of creation. And so the fall tragically corrupted our work. The fall ruined our first parents, Adam and Eve, because of sin. The fall ruined the garden itself. Thorns and thistles now fill that garden. And it even ruined their work in the garden. It's by the sweat of their brow that they will now work. The toil of work coming from the ruin of sin and how it affected our first parents. Said differently, all creatures and all creation are now in this cosmic conflict. Everything is broken. Everything is in a state of decay and ruin. Every person, everything. That's what we believe the Bible teaches that's a biblical worldview of the world in which we live. Disorder, chaos, disintegration, destruction, and decay. But the story doesn't end there. The story of the Bible carries on that God has purpose and has made promises for the renewal of creation, for the reordering of creation. And that's our third point. That God says He is calling a people to Himself, redeeming them, 
and now empowering them to work for the redemption of all things to His glory. So we move from order to disorder to now the promise of reorder. That God through His church is doing something. He is doing a renewing work, a reordering work. But make sure it's understood, our work is still broken. It is still by the sweat of our brow. It is still working with thorns and thistles in everything we touch. But our work matters to God. And God seeks to use you as a renewing agent, an agent of redemption through your work, whatever your work is. Stay at home, mom. Stay at home, dad. You have work to do. Your spheres of influence, wherever you are. This is a sermon for everyone from young to old. If you're a student, you're to be a student for the glory of God. If you're an athlete, you're to be an athlete for the glory of God. If you're a grandparent, you're to be a grandparent for the glory of God. God is renewing, restoring, and redeeming all things. So in the way of application, and it's gonna, the sermon's application heavy from here on, let's think for a minute about, well, how is our work broken? In what way is our work broken? I'm going to give you two this morning. Two to really think about and apply. The first is our work is broken in its motives. Sin has broken the motive in every one of us. Work was to glorify God. And somehow you can see in yourself, just as I can see in myself, that what was to glorify God, now we try to glorify ourselves. Self-glory through our work. Making a name for ourselves through our work. Proving ourselves versus being stewards of the time and the opportunity that God has given us for His glory. A right thinking of our work is, simply said, this is my Father's world. And it is filled with broken things. And now He calls me to be a steward, seeking to redeem these ruins, to take all things as a steward of what He has given us. And we get our motives wrong when we don't think that way. When we think, well, God doesn't care about this world. It's sin broken and it's ruined. He cares about the next world. Whereas God says He has compassion, He has purpose, He has intention for this world to fulfill all of His promises for it. Our motives tend to be broken and crooked. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 say this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Back in the day, I was a freshman at Clemson University and probably should not have been accepted at Clemson University, to tell you the truth. And I learned that pretty quickly. 
when um, after one semester, I found myself on academic probation. And it wasn't just me. I lived with uh, three other guys, and um, all of us found ourselves on academic probation. Probably was not the best fit of guys to live with one another. We had a lot of fun, but we didn't get much work done. So the second semester came, and it got worse. I went deeper in the hole in academic probation, which was really discouraging because it was that time that I had tried. Um, but the, the unfortunate matter was I took a five-hour class that I failed. And so I did even worse the second semester when I was trying, trying a little bit harder. But a, a turning point came in my life, and maybe I've, I've told you this before. But during that freshman year, I read my Bible every day. I went to church every Sunday. I even went to campus ministries twice a week and a small group Bible study. And I had no idea that what I was doing in the classroom mattered to God. Matter of fact, I probably thought it didn't really matter because I was getting a secular education. Until I had lunch with my campus minister, my RUF campus minister. And I sat down with him, and he's like, well, how are things going? And I said, you know, not, not really well. Um, sometimes I feel like the Lord's not being so good to me. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, my grades aren't good. And he said, are you studying? I was like, well, sort of. You know, we order pizza every night and stay up and watch David Letterman, and we go to the gym and play sports all day, and I study a little bit. And this sweet, dear soul, this campus minister, looked me in the eye, and he said, Paul, you've got to decide if God is calling you to be a student at Clemson University, because it was apparent I was about to get kicked out, right? And he said, it, this, is, this is the phrase right here, he said, and if you believe God is calling you to be a student at Clemson University, you have no choice but to be the best, hardest working student that you can be for the glory of God. And I had never heard that in my life. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. I didn't think that the Lord really cared about that. Yet that was my six days of labor that had been assigned to me. And I had not taken it responsibly. I had not taken it for His glory. I saw it as hoops to jump through. And I was apathetic. I did not care. Now, the conclusion to that story is all good. Um, I ended up making the president's list. I got a 4.0, not for the rest of my time, for one semester, but I'll press on that as much as I can. <laughs> but I share that with you because that is the power of a change in worldview. If you are a Christian and you are apathetic, you are yawning at what God has called your six-day labor, you need to repent. You need to reconsider. You need to number your days, count your days, because what you do is to be done for the glory of God. Whether you're sweeping streets or whether you're working in a hospital, it doesn't matter. It is for the glory of God. That is the power of this right understanding of the world and our place in it. We have one holy motive in everything we do. 
And that is for the glory of God. If you're a student, it's for the glory of God. If you're an athlete, it's for the glory of God. It's not for yourself to make a name for yourself or to prove yourself. And that all speaks to the issue that every one of us has a broken work ethic. A broken work ethic. I was an underworker until I was chastised and changed in my view. And so the two extremes of a broken work ethic are these. Obviously, it's the underworker. It's the one who's lazy, who's sloppy, who's apathetic with the things that God has given him. And the Scriptures speak about this person throughout the Proverbs, calling him the sluggard or the sloth. And it's a, it's a category of shame that no one created in the image and likeness of God who has any sense of redemption, should be called a sluggard or a sloth in their six days of labor. We should work hard and we should work well through our work ethic for the glory of God. You know, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus was a carpenter. But we're really never told about the things that He did. But I do wonder, what kind of carpenter was He? Do you think if He built a a three-legged stool that it would wobble? Or do you think that he took his work rightly as for the glory of God? I'm pretty sure he was not a shoddy carpenter. He did what he did. He did everything as it should be. And so should we. When our parents have us cut the grass, or paint the fence, or do whatever we do, we do it not for the glory of ourselves or our parents, we do it for the glory of God. When we take care of our older or dying parents, we do it with happy hearts because we're glorifying God. This is what He's called us to do as we count and number our days. Everything we do, our work, the work of our hands, is for the glory of God. And so we don't want to be under workers. But there's a second way we get work wrong, and it's the opposite extreme. It's the overworkers among us who through perfection think that we're proving ourselves, think that we're earning something through our work, or letting other responsibilities in our lives fall because of our proving ourselves through our work or our degree of commitment to our work. The Scriptures speak of this as well. That God calls us to be a people who can rest. A people who know that it's six days that we labor and the Lord rested on the seventh and has given that to us as a gift. And so some of us maybe are overworkers, always trying to prove ourselves wearing ourselves out, disintegrating because we're not getting the right work balance that God has intended for us. Years ago, I heard a speaker speaking to a room of campus ministers, and uh, he was a psychologist. And he told us a story that I've, I've never forgotten. I think of it from time to time. But he spoke to this room of you know, 30, 40-year-old men And he said, men, all of my life I have been living and working to try to please my dad. And he said, I would go to work early 
And I would come home late because I wanted to prove myself to my dad. And he said, I am still doing it to this day. And my dad has been dead for 30 years. And I heard that. And I thought in my own life, how many things do I do? How many treadmills do I run on trying to please other people? And I'm not doing it for the glory of God. I'm doing it because what will someone say? How will someone look at me? What will their opinion be? You understand, that's the wrong work ethic for the Christian who has been liberated and freed from such tyranny of thought in your own heart and in your own mind. What we do, we do for the glory of God. And we're to do in the right ratios, the right proportions, and for the right reasons. That's how we redeem. That's one way in which we can go to work this week trying to redeem our work, considering the motives of our heart, why we do what we do, who are we trying to please, what are we trying to glorify. Those are the things that a biblical Christian worldview will demand that every one of us think through and consider. If we're living for the wrong motives, if our work ethic is driven for the wrong reasons, do you understand that it will disintegrate you? It will wear you out. It will discourage you. But God and His Word and what He's given us redirects us. It reorders us. It repurposes us. It puts everything as it should be. And you and I are called by faith to believe that, to roll up our sleeves and to try to live according to it. And you won't do it perfectly. You'll get it wrong. You'll have moments where you experience that reorder and repurpose and, and renewal as you should. But like me, you're going to be like, ugh, the dog does return to its vomit. We go back to the ways and the life and the rhythms that undid us. And then we go to work again, applying this biblical worldview seeking to live as God has called us and as He has redeemed us to live, all for His glory, not for our own, but for His. You may have heard it said before that those two German composers of the 1600s, Johann Sebastian Bach and George Friedrich Handel, you may recall having heard, because I think I've talked about this, that those two men of faith, after they finished their musical compositions, they would always put three initials at the bottom of their work. Did you know that? S, D, G. And that stood for Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And it was their way of devoting that work to the glory of God, not to themselves. And that is so powerful to consider that they would sign their hard work, their best work, SDG, to God alone be the glory. And it makes one wonder, can you put those three initials at the end of your work week or whatever it is you do with your six days of, of labor? Can you sign what you do, SDG, and not feel like you're lying? We probably can't do that on most weeks. 
But that's the right heart of a Christian, is to say, to God alone be the glory. Whatever I do this week, it's devoted to the Lord for His glory and not for mine. Our six days of labor, they matter to God. He is not uh, uninterested in what He has called us to do. He has called us and equipped us, and He's given us a high view of work that all that we do is all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. Let's pray that we would view our work and live this way. Lord, would you bring the strength of repentance into our hearts and our minds on this subject of work and living for the glory of your holy name, of rightly representing you with everything that we touch, everything that we do, every interaction with people. Lord, may we truly be able to live soli Deo Gloria for the glory of our God alone. It would all be done for Jesus. We ask this and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.